Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Jeff Wickwire. Dr. Wickwire is the founding and senior pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. For more than 25 years, he's been known for his passionate and practical proclamation of the scriptures. Now here's Pastor Jeff with the message entitled, Expectation of His Return. Well, we've been talking in the last few weeks about prophecy, and I want you to turn to Matthew 24 with me. I want to minister to you today out of one of the parables of Jesus. Last time I talked to you about the signs of the coming. The disciples of Jesus had come to him, and they asked him privately three questions. And we're going to look at those questions again today. And I shared with you last time the general signs of his coming. And now I want to continue along that vein and share with you in the next couple of weeks three parables that Jesus gave us when he was talking about being ready for his return. So let's go to Matthew 24, verse 45, and we're going to read the first parable that Jesus gives in answer to the question. And I'll read you the question. They came to him and they said, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now we have heard the general signs that Jesus gave in answer to those three questions. But we need to understand that Jesus then moved into three parables, three parables which are simply spiritual illustrations that help us to understand spiritual truths. Jesus uses common everyday things to help us understand spiritual truths. So he didn't stop with giving us the general signs. He then gave three parables that have to do with the return of Christ. Can you say with me, I believe he's coming soon? Well, now Jesus in verse 45 begins the first parable. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Now, if you've got a pen, I want you to underline those words, to give them food in due season. Because that's the key to the parable, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So, you're a servant of Christ. He's talking about you. And he's saying, what I want to find you doing when I return is giving food in due season to those who are in my house. So follow along now. Assuredly, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So there is a reward for those who obey this parable. But if that evil servant says in his heart, what does the servant say? Read it with me. My master is delaying his coming. This person loses his expectancy of the return of Christ. And what happens when he gets his eyes off of Jesus? Verse 49, he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. So they backslide. We would know it as backsliders. Verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two. Wow, Jesus said that. Say, oh me, not amen. amen. He will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I believe the weeping and gnashing of teeth is not talking about a child of God that ends up going to hell. It's talking about a servant of God who sees the rewards he lost 
because he was not walking in the Spirit and doing what this parable teaches, and we're going to see it in just a moment. Father, we thank you for your blessing today on the Word of God. Help us to be those servants who are looking for your coming and expecting it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's going to be you. All right, now, I want you to just kind of put on the back burner the parable that we just read. Let me just talk to you for a minute and set these parables up. This is the first of three parables in Matthew 24 and 25, the first of three. The backdrop for these parables is very important. Jesus has just left the temple and Jerusalem, never to return again until his arrest. Before leaving the temple, he had looked around at it and he declared, your house is left to you desolate. Your house is left to you desolate, pointing to the temple. Now this statement perplexed his disciples. They said, what are you talking about? As they walked along the slopes of the Mount of Olives, they asked Jesus three questions. And let me repeat them again. One, tell us when these things will be. Now when he said that, they were talking about, when will it be that the house is left to us desolate? The second question, what will be the sign of your coming? The third question, and of the end of the age, three questions they asked Jesus privately. Now Jesus took these three questions and he answered them. First, they asked, when will these things be? What do you mean our house is left to us desolate? What things? Well, the things he had just spoken of in the temple. When he said to the Jews who had rejected him, and not recognize the day of their visitation from God, your house is left to you desolate. That's who he was talking to. The house was the temple, and Jesus predicted the total destruction of the temple. Jesus knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going to happen before it ever takes place. When something begins, he already knows the end of it. He said, do you see all these things? The beauty, the grandeur of this temple? I tell you, not one stone is going to be left on another. Seventy years later, this was fulfilled. The Romans invaded Jerusalem. The temple was totally leveled, just like Jesus said. Over a million Jews were slaughtered, and the Jewish people were scattered over the face of the entire earth. So that part of his prediction has already been fulfilled. And that's what you find when you study the prophecies of Jesus. Some of them had immediate fulfillment, and many of them had way later fulfillment, last day fulfillment. But the house being left desolate had an immediate fulfillment. Now the second question, what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus replied that it would be as clear and visible as a flash of lightning stretching from east to west. Last night I was walking into this church to get ready to minister. I couldn't believe it. I turned and there were some clouds in the background. And suddenly, as I was getting out of my car, a flash of lightning shot across the sky. Then and then gone. There and then disappeared. Jesus said, my return will be just exactly like that. It'll be like lightning flashing from east to west. It'll be a flash. He will return and it will be gone. It'll happen when you least expect it. Jesus said as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He said it's going to be so fast, so sudden, so unexpected. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. In our day, two men will be carpooling. One taken and the other left. 
Two men will be in an office sitting together next to each other. One will be taken, the other will be left. Suddenly, like a flash of lightning, two women will be grinding at the mill. I'll change it. Two women will be walking through the mall. <laughs> One will be taken and the other left. Like lightning, it'll be sudden. Most will not expect it. Life will be going on as usual. Jesus said, as in Noah's day, before the great flood, Jesus said they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And I used to read that and say, well, what was wrong with that? But Jesus' point was this. They were just going through life as usual. They had not taken the preaching of Noah seriously. They did not believe the judgments that he had predicted were coming. And so they were just marrying and giving in marriage, going through life, going to work, going home, eating, going to sleep, living every day, not expecting the judgment of God, thinking that Noah was crazy, not believing anything that he said until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. Jesus said, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. In Noah's day, there was a universal callousness towards God. They didn't believe the word of the Lord through Noah. They didn't believe the word of God. But it didn't matter because the word of God was true. Let God be true and every man a liar. They did not believe the preaching of Noah. And Jesus said they will not believe the preaching of Christ before he returns. There will be a great harvest of souls. But there will also be a huge slice of the world that will not believe the preaching of Christ. They will think that it's silly and stupid and antiquated and extreme and ignorant until Jesus comes again. Peter predicted the same attitude and callousness before Jesus' return. Even Peter said it. Peter said, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Things are going on like they always have. You people are crazy. You need to chill and go have a real life. But he will come suddenly and visibly like lightning, flashing across the sky. And I'm going to tell you, looking at that last night, there was no way I had time to get right with God. Something that fast is there and gone. Your time to get right with God is now, not then. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart. Now the third question the disciples asked Jesus was this one. What will be the sign of the end of the age? What's going to be the sign of the end of the age. And Jesus answered this phrase, very strange statement, wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Well, we all know that a carcass is a dead body, but eagles in scripture always symbolize victory and strength. So what is this? We have a carcass and eagles juxtaposed with each other. What we have here is a picture of devastation and the victory of God's judgment. What will be the sign of the end of the age? It is not pretty. G. Campbell Morgan said, the world in its final end is looked upon as dead. Before Christ comes, the world is looked upon as dead. And the eagles represent judgment. So three questions from the disciples with three answers. When will these things be? The answer, God's going to judge Jerusalem for rejecting me. It happened in 70 AD. Second question, what's going to be the sign of your coming? It'll be dramatic, visible to all, like lightning. Third question, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Devastation and the victorious judgment of God on a Christ-rejecting world. At the end of his answers, Jesus said, If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you, 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 
and all of you listening by radio, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Right when people are saying, well, it's obviously not going to happen. When the faith of many has fainted, a flash in the sky and Christ will come. That little warning along with the backdrop I just gave you sets the stage for the next three parables in Matthew 24 and 25. All three, they all have to do with being ready for his return. Now we got three parables. Let me give them to you quickly. The faithful and evil servant is the first one. We're dealing with that today. Deals with faithfulness before his return. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins deals with preparation for his return. And the parable of the talents deals with rewards at his return. So can you say it with me? Faithfulness before his return. Preparation for his return. And rewards at his return. See, Jesus hadn't lost his train of thought. They're sitting there listening to him give the general signs of his return. And then to the same men, he never shifts gears. He never changes. It's the same sitting. He gives these three parables. Now today I want to look at the faithfulness before his return. Faithfulness before his return. The parable of the faithful and the evil servant. We already read it. Now this parable is easy to understand. We have a household. There is a household. The master of the household leaves for a season. The servants in the household are put in charge and given a responsibility to give food in due season. To give food in due season. Now there are two responses from two different servants. One of them obeys, but the other one says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. So there's two servants. They both are in the house. They both see the master leave and they're both given the command, be sure that food is given to my people in my house. Be sure that it's divvied out. One of them responds. The other one says, well, my Lord is delaying his coming. In other words, time passes and this evil servant eventually begins to say this to himself. Well, he's not ever coming back. And because he's not ever coming back, I'm going to live the way that my flesh wants to. And he begins to live a fleshly life instead of a life in the Holy Spirit, a life of obedience. And then suddenly the master returns without warning and rewards or judges his servants based on their obedience or their lack of it. Now the meaning of the parable is this. It's very easy. And I want you to listen carefully. The household is the church. The household is the church. We're in church today. But church is not these four walls. It's not a building. It's not a name on a sign. We are the family of God because we have been born again. And so that's the household of God. That's the church. So the household is the church. The master of it, the master of it is Jesus. The servants left in charge are you and me. We've been left in charge. So I want you to say with me, that be me. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him that be you. That's bad English, but good preaching. It's real. The servants left in charge of the house are you and me, the body of Christ. And worldwide, there's billions of us. His departure is his ascension into heaven. You remember when Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives in front of his disciples, left them a few commands and talked to them a little bit, and then he lifted up his hands as if he were blessing God, and he ascended into heaven in their sight. So 
His departure is his ascension into heaven. The responsibility he leaves with the church is to love one another, love one another, and it is symbolized by giving one another food in due season. This one commandment I leave with you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Did you know that how the church loves one another, every member of that household, every member of the church is going to answer to God for how they loved one another? This is what Jesus is saying in the parable. The responsibility he leaves is love one another. Give them their food in due season. This is a picture of sensitivity, kindness, thoughtfulness, and a loving relationship. He's talking about how we want another one another. Now this is preparing for his return. You know how you can tell a backslidden church? A backslidden church, or a church that never really front slid is a church that doesn't love one another. They're mean, they're harsh, they're unforgiving. They do not walk in love. They judge, they condemn, they gossip, they slander. That's the kind of church that does not understand that any day now, at any given time, there can be a lightning flash across the sky. Jesus can return at any given time. And he's telling us in this parable, here's one of the things my family, the church family, is going to answer for. How did you love one another? Now, the evil servant represents the danger of believers who lose hope in his return, and they begin to treat other believers badly and begin to run with the lost, represented by eating and drinking with drunkards. Now, church, let me tell you something. There is something that happens to you and me when we expect the coming of the Lord. If you wake up every day and say, today could be the day, all these things we're talking about prophetically— All these things we're seeing coming to pass in Bible prophecy. Somebody came up to me last week and said, well, praise the Lord, I was going to start a business, but why fool with it now? And I said, here's why. Here's how you look at life. You live your life every day as if Jesus could come today. But you plan like he may never come in your lifetime. In other words, if he's calling you to go to school and you think he could come tomorrow, go to school today. You plan like he's not going to come in your life, but you live your life like he's coming today. And that's the message of this parable. You live your life like he could come before we get out of church. Do you know there's going to be some churches where the minister is going to be saying something, and a lot of people are being sitting out there, and some of them are going to disappear, but a lot of them are going to be still sitting there, because a lot of people in church have never been born again, have never been saved, and are not living for God. They're religious, but they're not in relationship. They don't know Jesus. They wouldn't know Jesus if he bit them on the foot. They wouldn't know. They're in a religious institution, but they have not been saved. Jesus said, when I return, one of the things I'm going to look for and give reward for is how you one anothered one another. And he could come today. When you're driving home, you live that way. I told you, my parents, when they went on vacation, when I was growing up, they never would tell me when they were coming back. They'd leave me and my three sisters there, and we would say to them over and over again, well, when are you coming back? Well, you know, we're not sure. It might be here, and it might be there. Well, how are we going to know? Well, you're not going to know. I used to wonder about that. I felt neglected because they wouldn't tell me. But they knew why I wanted to know, and I knew why they wouldn't tell me. 
Because we know. If I know exactly when you're coming back, I got everything cleaned up one hour before. But if I don't know, I'm nervous every day. Well, I don't think we can do what we really want to do. Because what if they came back today? And that's the way Jesus has done us. He said, no man knows the day or the hour because he knows our flesh. So every day we say, well, you know, he may come back today. That's the message of this parable. You don't know when he's coming. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be instantaneous. And you're not going to have time to get right in the flash of lightning. The true test of commitment to our absent Lord and the true evidence that we expect his return is right behavior, right behavior in his own household. Not living like the world, looking like the world, talking like the world, walking like the world. Uh Uh-uh. Those who think, those who know, those who believe, and you've got that belief firmly on the front burner of your mind, he could come back at any time. You live holy. You live right. You keep short accounts with God. You one another, one another in love. You do not treat the body of Christ mean or harshly, unloving, unforgiving, gossiping, slandering. No, no, no. All that is put away because at any time he could walk through the door and say, hello. So he says, what I expect to see is I'm going to look at how you treat one another and I'm going to look at how you relate to a lost and a dying world. Are you out there drinking and running with the drunkards? Or are you living the way that you know I want you to live? See, it's how we treat one another and it's how we relate to that lost world. He's going to look at both because show me who you're running with and I'll show you you. Show me who your friends are and I'll tell you all about you. All I need to do is meet your friends. That's why I tell people who are about to get married, I'll say to them, have you met their best friend yet? So I'm just kind of wondering if they're what I think they are. Well, if you can't figure it out being around them, ask them who their friends are. Go meet their friends. Because show me your friends and I'll show you you. Because you're going to become just like who you run with. That's why you need to be running with people, hanging around with people, fellowshipping with people who sharpen you spiritually. If you're having to compromise your life, if you're having to compromise your convictions, if you're having to compromise your walk with God to hang around somebody, you need to make a choice. Walk away from anybody who's putting a dull edge on your spiritual life. And if you've got to be alone, be alone with Jesus. Nobody, nothing is worth your spiritual walk. Don't run with anybody who dulls you. Jesus is the best friend you've got. I'm writing on that right now. I'm finishing my next book. I'm on chapter 12, and I call it How to Be a Friend of God. And the more I study it, the more I realize God wants us to be his friend. To be the friend of God, you've got to say goodbye to some people and hello to some people. So we have such chemistry, Pastor Jeff. If we didn't have such chemistry, I wouldn't hang around with them. Have chemistry with Jesus. You've got great chemistry with him. He's your true soulmate. I found my soulmate when I was 16 years old. My soulmate is the Lord Jesus Christ. He died to save my soul. And he holds my soul in the hollow of his hand. And so he's my soulmate. And he's your soulmate. Keep that relationship intact no matter what you've got to do to save it. That's what he's telling us in this parable. 
How you one another one another and how you relate to a lost and dying world. These are the two questions of this parable. So what is the food in due season? What is the food that we are to give to one another in due season? It's in Ephesians 4.32. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 and it's very simple. And there's probably more things but this will do. This will keep you busy for the next 20 years. Ephesians 4.32, three things. He says, here's how you one another one another. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Can we say the word kind? Kind. kind. He says, first of all, here's the food you are to give to those of God's household in due season. Kind means easy, good, gracious. It's the Greek word krestos, and the same word is found in, for instance, when Jesus said, my yoke is easy, krestos, and my burden is light. Here's what Jesus was saying. I am good, I am gracious, and I am kind, kind to those who walk with me. Take my yoke. My yoke is krestos. It's easy. It's kind. It's not difficult. How many of you can say, this week, Jesus was kind to me? Man, he could have left me as a grease spot on the parking lot, but he didn't. He was kind to me. He's kind. I take his yoke upon me, and it's easy. It's gracious. It's kind. Luke 6.35, Jesus said, but love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind. Christos. He is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He's kind. He's kind to those who are ornery. He's kind to the difficult. He's kind to the abrasive. He's kind to those who just drive you nuts. He's kind. There is nothing more unattractive than a mean, unkind Christian. Because people look at that and they say, well, if that's what God did to you, no thank you. See, you are God's billboard. And so kindness ought to be one of the attributes of our life. And this is what we are to one another, one another with. This is the food in due season. So in the body of Christ, we'll be walking around figuring out how to be kind. Because this is what the Lord is going to be looking for. Now, not only kind, but tender hearted. Did you know that word tender-hearted is found only once? And it's found in Ephesians 4.32. It's not found anywhere else in the New Testament. It's found only once, and it means compassionate. Compassionate. Not just kind, but that means your heart goes out to the pain of people. Give them their food in due season. When you see somebody hurting, troubled, compassion comes out of your heart towards them. You know, the Bible talks a lot about hearts. And instead of tender-hearted, it mentions the hard-hearted. Hard-hearted means harsh, stubborn, cruel, obstinate. I've seen those very things right there that I just named in churches. I've seen churches that were earmarked by that kind of spirit. Harsh, stubborn, cruel, obstinate, hard-hearted. It's the opposite of tender-hearted. But see, here's what we need from one another. Here's the food we need from one another. I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. Your halo isn't so bright either. 
And what I need and what you need from me is kindness. Give me my food in due season. I need tenderheartedness. I need long-suffering. I need patience. I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm growing just like you. And so I need tenderheartedness. I don't need harsh judgment. I don't need condemnation. I need tenderheartedness. Don't you? Give me my food in due season, and I'll give you your food in due season. And if Jesus comes and we're one anothering one another that way, he says, I'm going to say you're ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There is a reward. And all the Pharisees and Sadducees who are sad, you see, here's why they're sad because nobody who is mean, harsh, unforgiving, cruel, and obstinate is happy. You can't have the joy of the Lord and be that way. So one another, one another. Give one another their food in due season. Who in your life right now needs tenderheartedness, needs kindness, needs forgiving, needs long-suffering, needs patience? Give them their food in due season. Jesus was tenderhearted. Over and over again, you see in the Bible, Jesus was moved with compassion. That's tenderhearted. It says, then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched the leprous man and said to him, I'm willing and be cleansed. So many of the healings Jesus performed followed on the heels of the Bible saying his heart was moved with compassion. And when that compassion swept over his heart, he held out his hand and he healed people. He said to the demoniac of Gadara, go home to your friends and tell them I had compassion on you. He looked at the multitudes and it says he was moved with compassion for them. So if we're walking close with God, if we're walking closely with Jesus, we're going to be giving people their food in due season. Tenderheartedness, compassion, patience. Oh, I can't hold anything against you. I've so sinned against God and he has so forgiven me. How dare I not forgive you? I've got clay feet up to my armpits. What about you? In my flesh there dwells no good thing. The only good thing dwelling in me is the Holy Ghost of the living God and a new nature. He forgave me billions of dollars in debt. How can I not forgive you? Which is the third thing. We're to give in due season to those in God's household. Forgiveness. Be forgiving of one another because God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Do you know what God has forgiven you of? He's forgiven you of everything that could have taken you to hell that God has forgiven you. So he says, in my household, give them their food in due season. If somebody needs to be forgiven, forgive them. Forgive them. If somebody comes to you and says, man, I really blew it. I messed up. Forgive them. If they don't come to you and say, I really messed up, forgive them anyway. That's the food in due season. We have been given a charge by Christ. Give one another the food of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness as you wait for his return. And don't involve yourselves in relationships that corrupt, eating and drinking with the drunken. That is the message of this parable. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. And Jesus said, now I've told you the general signs that you're going to see coming to pass before I return. Now let me tell you in three parables how to prepare yourself. This is how you do it. I forgive you. You forgive me. Some of you are going, well, you know, I just don't know. We all need forgiveness, don't we? 
We all stumble in many different ways, don't we? And if you say, not me, I don't ever stumble. You just stumbled in pride. Jesus gave us this parable so that we would be ready for his return. This is a preparatory parable. So let's pray that we can one another, one another the way we ought to. And don't withhold food from those to whom it is due. Father, thank you. Lord, it's not easy to forgive. It's one of the hardest things sometimes we can possibly undertake. And it's not easy to be kind to some people who are unkind. These things, Lord, that you have given us to do, we admit to you we can't do it apart from your power. We cannot do these things apart from the enabling of the Holy Ghost. But we know that in Christ we can do all things. Lord, any time now, there will be a lightning flash across the sky. And we want to be ready. We want to have been a church, Lord, that in waiting for you, one another one another by giving food in due season. So we ask you, Lord God, to help us. To say, Lord, strengthen me to do these things. Not just to hear it, but to do it. To do it. Who in your life needs that food in due season? A child, a parent, a relative, a neighbor, a co-worker, a church member, a spouse. Who needs that food in due season? Whoever it is, might be several. Make a commitment right now in the presence of God to receive His strength to give that food and don't walk in the flesh. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Jeff Wickwire. We trust that it has encouraged, challenged, and taught you truths you can walk out on a daily basis. For more information about Pastor Jeff and Turning Point Church, or to find more great teaching like this, log on to www.tpcfamily.org. Remember that the Word of God abides forever.